You have to be able to identify what makes you unique and remarkable to the audience that the journalist is writing to. So their audience, and that's how you get their interest. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Adrian Salamunovic, who is the co-founder of Canvas Pop, a service that lets you create awesome canvas prints. Adrian, how's it going? It's going great. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, great to have you here. So why don't you tell everyone about kind of who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've uh, I, I've never had a full-time job. All I've done is started uh, companies uh, since I was around 16 years of age, and uh, almost all of them have been web-based or net-based. I've launched apps. I've launched e-commerce companies. And right now I'm focused on, on Canvas Pop which is one of the web's leading personalized wall art companies. We can let you print any picture from anywhere. So whether it's Facebook, Instagram, an SLR camera, pointer click, or an Adobe file, it doesn't matter. We'll print it at any size as wall art, canvas prints, frame prints, even do pillows, magnets. But uh, we're a brand-focused direct-to-consumer company. We're vertically integrated, which means that we make and manufacture everything ourselves in our own dedicated factories which happened to be in Las Vegas. And we're born digital, meaning that the company has no, doesn't have any retail storefronts. It's pure web. And we started web, and we're going to continue focused on the web. Great. And so where did the idea come from, first and foremost? Well, you know, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to shorten it for you to make it, make it a little bit more interesting. My business partner, best friend, Nazem Ahmed, and I started a company called DNA11. And DNA 11 was a really crazy concept. It was just two best friends kind of bored and decided to start a company together. We never thought it would turn into anything. And what we did, what DNA 11 did is we used to take samples of your DNA and turn it into wall art, like custom abstract art from an actual photo of your DNA. Okay. And it was a crazy concept and it took off. We actually managed to build it into a million dollar business in less than a year or a little over a year, I should say to a zero to a million. And we did it from our, at the time, from our apartments. So we didn't have offices or anything. Anyways, we built this million dollar plus company selling art from DNA. And it was fun for a couple of years. And we realized this is a lifestyle business and we want to scale into a larger space. A lot of our friends were asking us if we could enlarge photos and print them off. And after a while, you kind of get worn down. You're like, okay, fine, I'll do it. It's not what we do, but why don't we just do it for our friends and family? So the demand actually came from our customers, our friends and family. And then we started looking in the market at the time, which was nine years ago. There really wasn't a brand leader in the space. There wasn't an Apple or a Zappos or a Casper of the space. There was no brand leader. And so we decided that we would start Canvas Pop. And, you know, that's what we've been doing ever since. Got it. And I, I think we, this is something, this is a note I made. I mean, did you start, did you start this company with, with $2,000 and then bootstrap or was it the company that led to Canvas Pop? 
So started DNA 11 with $2,000. Got it. Built that to a million in revenue and then took about $30,000, $35,000, which is really nothing, as you know, and, and launched Canvas Pop, which today is going on a uh, eight-figure business. Got it. Okay. Great. So, I mean, how does it typically work? I mean, how do you how do you make money off it? Do I just go to a site and do I just, you know, put like a, I mean, tell me how it works. Sure. I mean, it's it's really simple. And that's the idea of any great business model. It's frictionless. It's simple. You go to the site, you upload a file, any file, could be any photo, any image, and then we print it at virtually any size as wall art. And we've taken out a lot of the friction, like you don't have to worry about really too much about file size or ratios or any any of that. Our people, our software takes care of all the work. So we make it really easy for anyone to take any picture and turn it into art. It's really that simple. What we've done is we wrapped it around an awesome customer experience. And ultimately, we're actually a tech technology company at the end of the day, not really just a printing company, because we built a platform that allows us to route the orders intelligently to the closest printing center near you. We own those printing centers or partner with certain printing centers, but there's technology behind the scenes that streamlines the entire process wrapped with amazing customer service. And that's how we differentiate our, differentiated ourselves over the years. Great. And you started, I mean, well, I mean, there's something you did creative when it came to generating a ton of media impressions. Can you talk about that story? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about that. It's something that I'm really passionate about is what we call earned media. And it's called earned media for a reason because you have to go out there and you have to hustle and earn it. And I can safely say that the reason that we were able to start a multi-million dollar company with just a few thousand dollars and scale it pretty much all the way to where we have today is in great part due to uh, PR. And I believe that any company can get PR. Like it doesn't matter what you sell. There's always a way to add angles to your company and make it interesting to the media and to influencers in a way that they'll pick it up and start evangelizing and writing about you and sharing your story with the world, which then generates inbound links, it generates traffic, it generates SEO juice, and it kind of creates a vicious circle. So I'm really passionate about earned media. Great. So we actually talked about this before, but basically you were able to generate millions of media impressions for free. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. The reality is when I went into this company, I wasn't a journalist and I didn't have a background in writing or even a, a background in PR. So I had to kind of teach myself some hacks and some ways to get into the media. And so the first thing that I want people to think about is what makes your company unique? Why are you remarkable? It's really the question, who cares, right? And if you can answer that question and align that question with something that's trending in the media, for example, then all you have to do is go and pitch journalists that are interested in, in what you do. And the reality is people think it's hard to get into TechCrunch. We've been in it a dozen times, right? We're just a printing company, but we've been in it a dozen times. People think it's hard to get the New York Times. It's not. Journalists are out there looking to cover your company. You just have to know how to pitch it to them. Got it. Okay. So how, I mean, how did you guys get in TechCrunch? Uh, let's just say, let's say you got in the first time. Okay. I think a lot of people, sometimes maybe they get lucky, but how do you get in like an 11th time? Yeah. So, I mean, there is something to be said about developing a relationship with a journalist or set of journalists or a publication. It does get easier as you get press, more press comes and it's easier to get coverage. Right. But say for the first few times, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the process. I'd be happy to walk you through my playbook. Sure. Okay. So, Let's just say 
you have a company and we'll make, let's make up a company. It's a company that is like Uber, but for snow removal. Okay. I'm Canadian. So I just came up with a made up Canadian example. Okay. And so you're like Uber, but for removing snow from your driveway, right? So you press a button, a truck comes, picks up snow from your driveway, cleans your driveway. Or if you want to, it doesn't matter. It could be Uber for lawn care. Let's just say it's one a service like that. And you want to get media for it. The first thing you want to do is do what's called a reverse media search. So what I do is I go to Google News. And if your company was Uber for lawn care, let's just say, I would go and search every single article written about Uber, the car, the car company, right, on Google News. And then I would go find all those articles and hit every single journalist and saying, look, you wrote about Uber, so I know you're interested in the space. We're kind of like Uber, except that we do it for lawn care, right? So I call that reverse media search. You don't need an expensive database for that. You don't need PR company to help you do that, but you do need to get your pitch right. And um, the trick of doing a, a proper pitch is to understand the angle and what makes your company unique. And that's how you get, that's how you get journalists. Got it. So there's always, I mean, there's always has to be some kind of spin on it in order to to capture their attention, right? Yeah, there has to be some form of remarkability. And that remarkability could be your product. It could be a feature. It could be you as the founder. You know, in your case, Eric, people really look up to you. You've created your own brand, right? With these podcasts and with all the stuff you do with Neil, you have your own brand. And so it could be the founder. It could be the, the product. It could be a charity that you're partnering with. It could be another company that you're partnering with. You have to be able to identify what makes you unique and remarkable to the audience that the journalist is writing to. So their audience. And that's how you get their interest. Got it. Makes sense. I want to back up a second. I mean, go back into the, the early days, right? So you, you just started Canvas Pop. How did you go about acquiring your first 1,000 customers? Yeah, that, that's a kind of another funny story. So one thing is... What I love about when you're starting a company, sometimes you're too naive to know what you shouldn't be doing. In other words, you're really, there's a lot of bravado and you do crazy stuff. And I actually encourage entrepreneurs to try crazy stuff at the beginning because it's the best way to get attention. And so one of the things we did is we actually managed to, for the first 100 people that printed a canvas print when we launched, we said, okay, print your print through us. We'll put your photo, whatever you're printing, we'll put it in the New York Times Square on the Reuters board, which is a 30-foot, 40-foot high digital billboard, we'll put it up there for 15 seconds during Christmas, but just be our first 100 customers. And so that created a huge influx of customers that wanted to be the first 100 customers, right? And we actually charged them for it. So it was, I think, $50. It wasn't a big fee, but we wanted to make sure that to have an opportunity to have your photo on the New York Times Square, and we'd send you a picture of it, by the way, so you have proof to show off to your friends. And that's like a little trick that we did. And we did a little loophole because what people didn't realize is that at the time, PR Newswire and Reuters was giving away a free picture for every press release that you would put up. And it was only $100, if I recall correctly, if you did a press release. So what I did is I purchased the press release for a few thousand dollars. And then I added 100 pictures to it for a hundred bucks each. So it didn't cost me that much, right? The whole thing cost me maybe $10,000, but I bought out the billboard for the day during Christmas. And it was kind of a really cool play that people would have assumed we spent a lot more money on. So it was like a little hack like that. We're coming up with these unique sort of, I don't want to call them loopholes, but remarkable stunts, if you will, yeah, that aren't that expensive, that will make you stand out. 
No, that, that's great. I think when you first start out and you get you get a PR, I call it a PR bump like that. I mean, it, it's one of those things that can carry you into the future. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. So let's go to nowadays. I mean, what's one thing that you think you're doing unique when it comes to customer acquisition nowadays? Well, earned is still a big part of us, right? I, the, the problem with earned and PR, and I, by the way, I put earned PR and partnerships under the same umbrella. In other words, there are activities that you need to go out there, identify targets, you need to hustle and, and convince those targets that there's value for them, whether it's a journalist writing an article or a partner that's going to help you sell your products through to their audience. It's the same essential process, right? So when I say earned, earned is still a big part of our business. The issue with earned is as you scale 5, 8, 10 million, 20 million, it moves the needle less and less, right? When you're a small startup, you're less than a million in revenue and you get featured on the Today Show or featured in TechCrunch, your users, your downloads, your your purchases are going to spike. It's going to be the best day of the week, the best day of the month, maybe even the best day of the year. But as your company scales, it doesn't move the needle as much. So we have started transitioning after all these years into more paid channels, right? So Facebook's the obvious one. I know you're a big expert in that area. Our Facebook channels have been doing quite well, but I'm still focused on the earned side, which is the PR and the partnerships. Got it. Love it. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about doing PR creatively. And there's a, a lot of people tend to just kind of go with the motion, you know, load a bunch of emails into some outreach tool. But you tend to have a lot of ideas around it. I think we can talk about it all day. But I, I do want to talk about something creative that I think you are doing right now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there an Instagram integration happening with Canvas Pop? Well, that happened a long time ago. So we were the first company. This is an example of a low lift project that got us a ton of press. So we knew we were in mobile. We, we knew mobile photography was coming. And we also, as Canvas Pop, one of the biggest differentiators is we accepted any resolution photo for enlargement. And that put us in a great position to be the first company to accept Instagram photos. So I had an actual opportunity to fly down to San Francisco as Instagram was barely at 3 million users at the time. Uh, there was five or six employees, right? And got to meet with their head of uh, customer service, employee number four, and show her the product. And she said, this is awesome. By the way, we're opening up an API in the next month. You want, you want early access? I said, absolutely. So we were the first company. And that gave us a lot of press coverage, TechCrunch, The Verge, Mashable. Uh, many, many others covered that. And it gave us an opportunity probably six months of pure market share. We were the only company doing it and really helped us grow. And uh, it was it was a, it was a big deal for us. It got us a lot of new customers. But you can't ride like something like that forever. You have to move on and figure out what's the next thing that you want to bolt on to. So how do you keep coming up with these new creative ideas all the time? Well, I think creativity, sometimes, you know, the best artists steal. Right. And I'm not saying to copy. I'm not saying to flat out steal from people, but as marketers, we can look to larger companies or companies we admire and look at what they're doing right and sort of copy those things. And so at the time, there was a photo book company that was doing Instagram integration. I saw that opportunity and I said, well, they're doing it for photo books. Why don't we do the same thing for larger pictures? And it worked, right? So I don't, don't steal from your direct competitors, but borrow or remix from companies you admire because if it works for them, it might just work for you. So I, I look to a lot to companies I admire. I do look at the competitors, but not too closely because you don't want to play a game of catch up all the time with your competitors. You want to out innovate them. I read a lot of newsletters. I go to a lot of the tech forecasting and uh, trend forecasting sites and absorb as much information as I can. 
And I go to a lot of conferences and talk to people smarter than me. So it's a combination of all these things. Sometimes a lightning strike or a lightning bolt goes off. You say, all right, let's try this experiment. Yeah, makes total sense. I mean, that's why I love learning, reading, listening, whatever it is, because then you're going to draw inspiration out there and that's going to give you new ideas. So I think every idea out there is just you're building on something else from the past. So yeah, I don't think steal blatantly, but I think draw inspiration. I, I think that's a great way to, to think about it. I agree, totally. Now, what's, I mean, with Canvas Pop, you know, obviously with all businesses, it's not always sunshine and flowers. What's one big struggle you faced while growing it? Well, I mean, every day is a struggle, right? Anybody that tells you, oh, yeah, business is great. It doesn't matter how much you're – if you're growing too fast, that causes struggle. If you're not growing fast enough, that causes struggle. There's always struggles. And I think we as entrepreneurs – and I think you'll agree with me on this. Our job is to problem solve, right? Yep. At the end of the day, co-founders, CEOs, leaders and companies, our job might as well be called chief problem solver because – Every day is a new problem, right? Whether it's for our clients or for our employees or for our company as a whole. And so every day is a struggle, to be very honest with you, but I enjoy it. And you have to enjoy it to be a, a, a good leader, right? For us, the biggest struggle is always do you, do you buckle down and focus and double down on what's working but accept maybe slower growth? Or do you take risks and innovate and create new channels at the risk of alienating what's working already, right? So there's sort of that balancing act, right? And I think I'm learning through time that focus, discipline, and consistency, although boring for entrepreneurs like us who are you know, dynamic startup people, is actually the way to grow and be consistent and successful launch, right? So there's a dichotomy there. There's kind of like one fighting against the other. It's like the best way to succeed. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Like, what is the best way to succeed? Is it focus and double down or is it expand and cast a wider net? What do you think? You know, it's interesting. I mean, uh, earlier today we had the, the X.AI founder. I mean, he started a couple businesses. You know, you, you yourself, you're a serial entrepreneur. And it's, it's same, he said the same exact thing. It's not trying to do too many things at once as, as a younger entrepreneur. It's, it's locking in on the things that actually matter. And it's basically, I mean, growing any kind of business to a, you know, a, a good size is you're getting a product market fit or whatever service market fit, and you're just kind of repeating and process, 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 and that's it. I mean, that's business, right? But I think you and I, I think most entrepreneurs like the growing and starting things up, and that's why we try to do too many things, but ultimately that leads you to um, you know, stagnating. That's how I feel. Yeah, I agree. So it's, it's a balancing act. And I guess, I guess the, to the guys that are out there, guys and girls, who are out there building their businesses and feel like they need a shiny, shiny object syndrome, I think one great way to work that out is just to do a little advisory work on the side, right? That way you get to kind of play in other fields, learn from those other fields, but get back to your core business and double down and focus. Exactly. So, I mean, for you, how do you structure your day? So my day, I mean, and it, my days have changed over the years, right? Uh, nine years ago, uh, I was working 12 hours a day, right? I was working 14 hours a day. And I'm not saying you should work 14 hours a day. I'm not advocating that. But there's a time and place when you're doing a startup that you may not have a choice, depending on where you're at. But you may have to work 14 hours a day. I no longer work 14 hours a day. So what I do is I use my mornings. I wake up. Not extremely early. I'm not a, I'm not a, I wish I was a 5 a.m. guy. I'm not. I'm more of an 8 a.m. guy. But what I do is I wake up and I don't rush out of bed. I absorb information. I catch up on my news. I 
read a little bit. You know, I, I like to wake up slowly. I don't eat breakfast. Intermittent fasting right now, so it's great. Good call. Uh, yeah, not hungry at all. I no hunger in the morning, which is kind of interesting. And then I get to work, and I pull up to work very well rested. Uh, now, sometimes on three days a week, I'll pull a workout in in the morning and then go to work. Or sometimes I'll work out at lunch, depending on how my energy levels are. And then I'll eat after that. Now, what I do is I block out my days. And Eric, I'm sure the same way. If you don't block out research time, it's never getting done. You're going to get called into meetings or you're going to get stuck on phone calls. So I actually block out time for stuff like research. I block out time for email in the morning, right? I just say, look, between nobody bothered me between 9 and 10 or 9 and 9.30, I'm checking email. Nobody bothered me between 10 and 11, I'm actually researching. It might look like I'm just browsing the internet, but I'm actually researching. And then my afternoons are used for business development, general meetings, meeting with my employees, like our headcounts, company-wide 60-plus right people. But within my marketing team, there's always little huddles and stuff. So I like to freestyle my afternoons, and then I like to go to home at 5 o'clock. You know, there's no – or even earlier if I can, if I get my stuff done. Because I used to think, oh, man, I'm the last guy out of the building. It's 8 p.m. It's dark outside. But there's – you've got to balance life. It's, it's a mer- – so one of your questions that you were going to ask me is – Sorry if I'm rambling on, but I wanted to share this really important. No, you're good. (laughs) I'm thinking if I could talk to my 20-year-old self, I'd say it's a marathon and not a sprint. You're going to get there. You're going to get all the money that you want. You're going to get all the material things that you want and hopefully all the spiritual things that you want, which is the next level, in a matter of time. So just enjoy the journey. And it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I think I spent my 20s sprinting sprinting and sprinting. If you do that too much, you'll burn out. I don't know how you feel about it. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think I'm just coming into my 30s now and I definitely feel, you know, the 20s were, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, probably would be the same comment. Slow down, you'll eventually get there. I think everyone gets there. It's just you're at different chapters and you're going through different paths. So I think you're 100% right on on that. Another question I wanted to ask you, I mean, Canvas Pop, great, uh, great business. Some people can certainly think of it as a tool. What's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value for you? So it could be like Evernote or Dropbox. Oh, as a tool that we use in our in our like backend systems, like more stuff that you don't see on the front end, right? Could be anything. So I love PipeDrive, and I'll tell you how we use PipeDrive. And to say you love a CRM system is kind of a crazy thing to say. That's interesting. But I actually love PipeDrive. And I love PipeDrive because it uses like a Trello-like interface. Do you, do you use PipeDrive, Eric? Do you, have you seen it before? We Yeah, so I've seen PipeDrive. We use SalesFlare, which has the same kind of idea. You're moving people through different stages. That's right. It's visual. It's easy. It's frictionless. So I, like, I kind of like things that are frictionless. Now, we use PipeDrive because we're not a B2B sales organization as much as we are for the earned stuff, the partnerships and the PR. We actually use PipeDrive to manage all those relationships through the various stages of relationships. So I absolutely am loving, loving PipeDrive. I'm also using a company called Muckrack for PR. It kind of helps you monitor journalists' tweets and what they're writing about. So it's a little bit of a new, I'd say it's a PR 2.0 tool. Instead of using past or just past articles, it looks at what journalists are tweeting about and what they're writing about, a combination of those things, and then lets you create really targeted media lists. Uh, so Muckrack's good. Uh, we, my our our team is constantly testing different multivariate testing tools, different email tools. I know we're growing out of Mailchimp, unfortunately, but I used to really love Mailchimp. But it's only good, I think, to a certain size, and then unfortunately. 
bigger e-commerce companies have to migrate away from it. One of my favorite companies that I am so hot on right now is Typeform. Why do people like it so much? Well, again, it comes down to simplicity, right? Everything I've talked about, whether it's Pipedrive, whether it's Muckrack, whether it's MailChimp, and now Typeform, it, take, it makes something that's usually painful and makes it almost enjoyable, right? And B2B apps can learn from that, right? The consumerization of these apps. So to me, Typeform, you could take somebody who doesn't know a thing about coding, and you can create a conversational interface, like a beautiful conversational interface, or a survey, if you want to call it that, in like five seconds. And it looks gorgeous. It works beautifully. And the information on the back end is equally impressive. So I'm, I am loving Typeform. I, I wish I, I could have invested in them. Huh. They just raised a bunch of money. They're, they're an awesome company. Awesome. Great. Just two more questions before we work towards wrapping up. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? All right. This is a big one. For me, I, you know how every couple of years you read a book and then you, you just like tell everybody about it? Yep. So like... 10 years ago was E-Myth for me, right? Like E-Myth changed my life because E-Myth taught me how to work myself out of the business more, right? Be less in the business and work on the business. So E-Myth was awesome. But 10 years later, my next book that I'm recommending is Play Bigger by uh, Christopher Lockheed. Interesting. Lockheed's an awesome guy. He's a marketing guy from the Valley, originally a Torontonian, he's Canadian. And he wrote a book called Play Bigger. And Play Bigger is about how do you become the category king in your space? Right? How do you become the category king in Wallart or the category king in whatever app that you're developing? And it's a mindset and a strategic way of thinking more than anything else. And it will be the best 15 bucks or whatever it costs you ever spent if you're looking to really think big and play bigger. Awesome book. Interesting. Great. And I think maybe this is this the guy that started it. Well, I guess this leads to the next question. I mean, what is your favorite podcast right now? So, yeah, similarly, I've been listening to Legends and Losers, which is Christopher's uh, podcast. He's got great, great guests popping on there. Like, you'll be surprised at some of the some of the great people that he brings on there and what you can learn in those podcasts. So th- that's pretty much what I'm mainly listening to. Um, 99% Invisible is also awesome. I don't know, if Eric, you ever listen to that one? Yeah, great one. Design podcast. Right? Everybody Everybody knows about that one, but that one's more for entertainment. I'm liking Legends of Losers right now. Great. I'll have to check that one out. So, Adrian, I mean, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Right now, the best thing is probably hit me up if you want to talk to me on clarity.fm, uh, which is a, a platform, an awesome platform where you can connect with uh, awesome entrepreneurs and get their advice. And so you can go to clarity.fm, and if you just look for me by name, you'll find me on there. I think I'm the number one uh, guy on the platform right now but there's you'd be surprised at who you can connect with on there and uh you know hit me up on twitter as well awesome adrian thanks so much for doing this awesome i really enjoyed it man thanks for listening to this episode of growth everywhere if you loved what you heard be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources but before you go hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing <laughs>